0: Yesterday, in my view, one of the darkest days in the history of our nation. They tried to disrupt our democracy. They failed. I joined the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th
1: Amendment.
2: Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Thursday, January 7th, 2021. The first week of a new Congress is usually a relatively sleepy affair, especially during a presidential transition. There's the swearing-in of lawmakers, then a typically ceremonial pro forma counting of electoral votes, followed by some perfunctory Senate confirmation hearings so the new president can have some of his cabinet installed on the day he is inaugurated. Not this year, and certainly not this week. Lawmakers were sworn in amid the specter of the COVID-19 pandemic. Then there was the the dramatic conclusion of two Georgia Senate runoffs that saw Democrats flip both seats along with control of the Senate itself in that chamber. And then something we had not seen since, oh, the War of 1812, the takeover of the United States Capitol by violent means. In this case, a mob incited by President Donald Trump who wanted them to disrupt the joint session of Congress that would certify President-elect Joe Biden's win. The violent occupation of the Capitol shocked the world, but the rioters were eventually expelled. Congress eventually reconvened and certified Biden's win amid the broken glass and looted space. And lawmakers began calling for accountability, starting with its own law enforcement officials and why they failed to secure the Capitol. And then they turned their eyes to their own ranks and to Trump. Speaker Nancy Pelosi and incoming Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and others started calling for Vice President Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment that allows the cabinet to remove the president from duty. Absent that, they say they will possibly look to impeach and remove him, uh, something we haven't seen in a year. And then Biden also has continued to fill out his own cabinet. He's tapped Circuit Court Judge Merrick Garland to be Attorney General and Boston Mayor Marty Walsh as his Labor Secretary. The transition has continued on, regardless of what happens to Trump. It will continue, but the world is still reeling from what happened at the Capitol, even if Congress did eventually get back in and do its job. I'm going to talk with two of my colleagues about this aftermath. Catherine Tully McManus, uh, you have been covering the uh, United States Congress for a few years now. Uh, We've been working together for a few years. I think it's safe to say uh, you've never been in any kind of situation like that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your day and let's give our listeners a feel for what it was like that you were experiencing. You were in the Senate. The uh, joint session had been... You know, separated the two two chambers had been separated to debate the objections to the Arizona electoral votes. Uh, And you, you and I were on the phone when things started to get a little crazy. We started to realize that this situation could possibly get out of hand. Right?
1: Absolutely. So I was on the Senate side. I had a colleague in the chamber, so I was um, focused on things that we couldn't get necessarily on C-SPAN outside the chamber. I started to hear rumors basically that protesters at that point, we did not know what was to come. We're still We were still calling them protesters had broken through barricades um, that were set up in advance of the inauguration to keep people out of the construction area and just close up to the Capitol. Um, So I went, first downstairs on the second floor to check it out, to look out the window that overlooks, you know, the Washington Monument and the whole mall. And I did see um, Pennsylvania and Constitution Avenue forking out that way. And they were completely covered in people. And that was my first inclination that this was bigger than I had anticipated. Um, I returned to the Senate Press Gallery up on the third floor. and actually started standing on a desk to get a good look out towards the north side of the Capitol where a smaller group of protesters had clearly come through a barricade. Um, Gallery staff politely let me know that they weren't sure that an adult human being could be held on the desk. They suggested (laughs) instead uh, that I stand on this was the safer option, a rolling desk chair, um, to get a good view outside. Um, so, was living dangerously pretty much from the beginning. Um, at one, When I returned to my desk, Paul Kane of the One Post, a roll call alum, yes. came, when I say running out of the Senate chamber through these very small double doors, shouting, Almost in a Paul Revere-like fashion, Pence has left. Pence has left the chamber. Pence is gone. Um, And my question to Paul as he was running past is, is this a safety concern? Is that why he was removed? And he said, absolutely. Um, I don't think at that point we really knew any details, but he had seen inside the chamber basically Secret Service security security. As close to lift Pence out of the president's chair in the Senate as you can come. Um, and at that point, I had already been in discussion with gallery staff about safety. And okay, they're broken down the barricades. Like in the off chance, in the slight chance that things escalate, like, what am I supposed to do? Right. I I'm in the post-columbine generation. I grew up with active shooter drills all through school. Um, I always knew exactly where I was supposed to hide. We do them in our own newsroom, um, but I had actually not, I'd been locked down other places in the United States Capitol. I had never been locked down in the Senate press gallery. Um, So I had to ask what, where am I supposed to go? And they let me know that the chamber itself is actually the safest place. Um, And That was a hypothetical until that moment where they began locking the doors um, into the press gallery and began letting reporters know, are you in or are you out? They cannot mandate that reporters really do anything. We do not work for the United States Senate. Um, You are able to risk your life and continue to be out in the open if threats come your way um, but you also have the option to go into a secure space and be locked in um, that's when I got on the phone with you
2: right and I, I what 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 comes next is something that is su- such a it it's such a great, illustration of one how weird the Capitol is. And also it speaks volumes about how conscientious a person and a and a reporter you are too, which is that you are not allowed to have electronic communication. Even senators are not supposed to have electronic uh, you know, phone phones, laptops, iPads, things, things like that in the chamber, uh, it being the the Senate and bound by all this, you know, fusty tradition and so forth. So I remember when we were talking about this you and I and you know you and I have had these sort of discussions for a couple of years now because you've been a proponent of getting people active shooter training and what to do how to administer first aid in the case of a shooting in a newsroom and so forth something which is not abstract because of the Annap- Annapolis uh, newspaper shooting a couple of years back um, and you said I'm going in the chamber or something along those lines uh, so you might not hear from me because I can't bring my phone in there <laughs> And I just love that because I was like, no, you're going to take your phone in there um, because it, this is a, an extraordinary situation. I don't think you'll be censured by the Senate. And uh, I, I, in, did, in this case. I did. I asked. Yeah. I said,
1: Jason, do you want me to break the rules? <laughs> yes. Which I, I'm i a rule follower, but never blindly. Like, I don't think you can be a, a reporter if you're going to stay inside of every line. Yeah. Um, but... That's the respect and the esteem to which I hold the Senate chamber. Um, And they do threaten to take your press pass if you break the rules. Um, I did not think through that next step that if we're locked inside the chamber, what are they gonna do, take my lanyard? Yeah, I'm locked exactly. inside.
2: <laughs> exactly. I still do exactly. my job. Right.
1: Um. I hadn't thought that far. Uh, but I. No, it's it's just a great clear it's direction a, from you. Yeah.
2: It's a it's a great moment. So you're in you're in the chamber, and it really wasn't that long that you all were in the chamber before the 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 Capitol Police and the protective details started to realize we need to get everybody out of here because the situation is quickly getting out of control. And so talk about that too, because there were these moments where, I mean, it it all moved pretty quickly.
1: It moved incredibly quickly. I'll say at the point where Mike Pence had left and we were entering the chamber to be locked inside, um, my understanding based on just people who had come from other parts of the Senate were that like some protesters had gotten in. We did not know the scale, we didn't know anything. Um, the Senate press gallery, when you're inside the chamber, it overlooks the Senate. Um, you're up in a balcony, um, so you do have an incredible view. Um, something that struck me was how many senators were in the chamber. They were instructed by a senior member of the Capitol Police, um, who I am blanking on his name, but he's familiar to regulars uh, in the United States Senate. Um, He was shouting for everyone to get in their seats, everyone get in their seats for any staff to sit down, which really illustrated to me, what it did is I immediately thought about impeachment where all senators do have to be seated during those debates. Um, and that was the last time that I spent hours upon hours in the Senate chamber, which was a a possibility at that moment in my mind, um, looking down across the chamber at the senators, what I immediately noticed was how many of them pulled out their phones, which None of us were supposed to have, but they all they all keep their phones on them. Reporters are much more conscientious about the rules because there are consequences. Um, it was clear to me that people who were jumping on their phones were either on the phone with family members or staff. I could not specifically hear those conversations, but it was very clear from body language that they were relaying basically their status, that they were safe. And that is what signaled to me is that this must be on the news and this might be bigger than a handful of guys who got in. Um, my mind immediately went to, are they armed? How many of them are there, etc. I would not know the scale until much later. It was only a period about 20 minutes that we were in the chamber. And at that point, all the doors had been locked and the senators had been yelled at to get away from the doors. At one point, Amy Klobuchar stood up and said sh- that she was getting reports of shots fired, so get away from the doors, mm-hmm. um, which really did create a, a really solemn, tense atmosphere. Um, after about 20 minutes, senators were basically told to get out. We, I did not hear the specific instruction Um, I was honestly, I was taking notes on just what was going on in the room. Um, And suddenly every senator was out of their seats and was making their way towards the doors that were directly under the balcony that I was on. And it was a crush of people um, that I can only compare to like people trying to get on a subway train or trying to get out of a burning building. Um, It was really a crush of people. There are some steps there. And this is an elderly group, let's be clear. Um, and something that I found remarkable was kind of some odd couplings. People who I know do not agree on policy and that I don't know to have an established friendship across the aisle. There are many of those, but these were not those pairings who were steadying each other, whether grabbing each other's arms or linking arms to both stay upright as they made their crush towards the door, but also to, it seemed like to steady each other's nerves that they were being evacuated from what we had been told was one of the absolute safest places to be in the United States Capitol. And to me, that signaled that the threat was much more serious than any of us could have anticipated
2: yeah, and so eventually you were you were evacuated you and and uh, and our colleague Chris Chaffee, and several other members of the of the press uh, were evacuated and secured in one of the the adjacent uh, Senate office buildings, you know, through the different tunnels underneath the the subway or where the subway is and so forth. Um, you know, it was really one of those moments where, um, you know we've seen some first person accounts, including uh, one uh, that that's in roll call, but like of people that we work with. Uh, you know, in, in other publications, and I've I've rarely seen that kind of uh, rapport established, like you just said uh, about where because we, you know the, you were all sort of jammed into basically secure locations. Um, so, and, and, uh, you know, people were, uh, anticipating that they're, they they did not know what was going to happen, but that they were, you you might, they might have to defend people, public officials and journalists from, from attack. Um, and tell, I mean, we, um, just real quickly, like talk about what it was like to be in the room with those senators and staffers and all these people that you don't normally, that you see a lot, but you don't necessarily spend a lot of cheek to jowl time with.
1: Yeah, I will say that getting there was an experience I will never forget, I don't think. Um, I did not know what the destination was. I was literally like following a stream of people. I was shoulder to shoulder with uh, Dick Durbin, uh, Roy Blunt, Amy Klobuchar, Brian Schatz, a long sprinkled between reporters, staffers, and others. Um, Moving through hallways, tunnels, we went up a lot of stairs, more than I anticipated. Um, I was (laughs) sweating by the end, and some of the older senators were lagging behind. Um, And that moving as a body, as a group, in a direction in which we did not necessarily know the destination was stunning to me. Um, Eventually... It was shouted amongst people where we were headed um, and you could move more independently. Um, But it was unbelievable. And many senators looked stunned. They were a little stunned that this is how this was playing out. Um, One factor I do think in the stunned category is that we were not making our way towards the Capitol Visitor Center, which, was built and designed very specifically after 9-11 to be a fortress, an absolute safe zone that could protect against an incredible array of threats from bombs to chemical weapons to all different sorts of things that they tried to anticipate in the early 2000s that could be a threat to the United States Capitol and Congress. And that is not the direction we were heading. And that was Conversation as we were on the move, um, which was a signal to me and to senators that the CVC must have been breached or be unsecure at this point. For that not to be the destination of almost the entire United States Senate in a moment of crisis um, was stunning. Eventually, we did arrive. At first, reporters were in the exact same room along with senators um, as people, we didn't even have a moment to get settled. Everyone was still standing. No one had even put a backpack or a purse down yet. Um, A Capitol Police officer basically stood on a chair and began outlining a plan of exit, um, which was originally there was a plan to have buses come to the US Capitol and take these lawmakers off campus, away from this siege that was happening from the outside. Um, So then it was like a waiting game. That never transpired, but I now can share that that was an option at one point. Um, The rest of the five to six hours, I was directly outside of the room with the senators. They were coming in and out, um, basically to stretch their legs, to get a bottle of water. Um, We were also in basically the staging area for law enforcement. We were in an area that is, I have seen, be a staging area for Capitol Police before during major hearings where there's gonna be tons of protesters and arrests and things like that. So it felt familiar in that way that there was so much law enforcement around, um, but it had a completely different flavor as uh, FBI personnel in full camo helmets, long guns, strapped guns to their hips, everything, multiple weapons on every single person um, and armed as like they were going to war um, were coming in and out that we were the location where they were restocking, refueling, taking breaks, et cetera.
2: Well, Catherine, I mean, eventually, you know, we we did get you back in there. Uh, Congress, you know, did decide to not uh, go to one of the areas that has been designated as an off-campus place to meet. Um, and, and we got through it, but, I, you know, I know it was uh, having, you know, being in communication with you the entire time. Um, I mean, like, this is a... a, a you know, a vivid picture, I think, that you've, you've painted that, uh, you know, it, it's it's like there's only room in so much of our coverage for it. So, I, I appreciate you kind of painting this because it's really, um, it's really something. And thank you <laughs> for doing it. You know, thank you for for doing your job so well.
1: Absolutely. We're
2: also going to talk to our chief correspondent, Niels Lesniewski, for CQ Roll Call. Niels uh, was... In a position to try to make sense of uh, what was going on uh, in the Capitol and continuity of government without having to fear for his life uh, and w- was able to take feeds from uh, our various reporters on the ground and outside of the Capitol as uh, as we tried to figure out what was going on. Niels, hello. Hello, Jason. So let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, when we first discussed what was going on kind of early, we were like, once we got through the oh crap moment, uh, we, we realized, all right, we're going to need to start thinking about um, whether the chambers are going to have to be offloaded to uh, their alternate sites and so forth uh, to continue business if they're finally safe and secure and what that would be like. So let's... I mean, I think that a lot of um, a lot of folks may not be aware uh, that the Congress can meet uh, anywhere to do their job. Uh, they they don't have to be in the Capitol itself. And we saw this during the earthquake in 2012 uh, when Chris Coons was was gaveling in at the uh, Postal Museum across the street from from the Capitol. Um, but w- like, what? When when did you start thinking like, oh, we're going to have to like start looking at whether they're being offloaded?
0: That was really the moment that the Capitol building itself was being breached. When it became clear that there were uh, demonstrators in the mob was going to actually be able to get through uh, the doors on the Senate side of the Capitol and actually get into the building, Uh, then we immediately had to turn to the possibility that the building could not be secured. Ultimately, obviously, it was secured within, within a few hours. But quite frankly, we didn't know what any of these um, people actually had with them. This was a point that uh, Lindsey Graham from South Carolina actually made uh, today was, you know, at the time, there were a whole bunch of people with backpacks and large bags and whatnot, and none of us knew whether these uh, people may have had anything with them that could have further damaged uh, the building. And so uh, we had to think about the alternate uh, site scenario, particularly because we were in the middle of the uh, watching the electoral college counting. like There was actually a proximate event that needed to get done that frankly would have needed to get done whether or not they could have returned to the House and Senate chambers. They would have had to figure out how to how to certify Joe Biden as the president-elect uh, either way.
2: And our uh, our colleague, Catherine Tully-McManus, we were uh, discussing uh, we, with her just that when we realized that they were not going to be evacuated to the Capitol Visitor Center, that was when we realized that this is going to be a bad scene potentially because the CVC is meant to be this fortress. it's It's set up so that... Uh, it can be a self-contained environment for the meeting of Congress if the Capitol building is incapacitated, uh, and if that was not available, then we're talking about okay, where do we, <laughs> where do we take people? Because you know you can fit a hundred senators in a room, but when you're talking about uh, up to 500 people potentially, uh, that is uh, a kind of a, a, a different setting. And so you know when. That was a, a, a stark moment for me, too, when I realized that, oh, wow, um, we, we don't know where each chamber is going to meet, and we don't know where they're going to meet in joint session either.
0: Right. And one of the things that was an immediate concern uh, for me and, and probably for a lot of other people uh, was the fact that a lot of these alternate meeting locations, the ones that we know of, it's not like these places are equipped with the kind of audio and visual equipment that you have in the House and Senate chambers. Uh, And so there was certainly going to be a question of whether or not we were going to be relying on reporters hopefully being able to get into the room to be able just to report out what may have been going on during a uh, makeshift session of the house or the Senate or a makeshift uh, location for a joint session so one of the things that was going on uh, behind the scenes was that we were we were trying to sort out and figure out who would be responsible among the press corps for getting to wherever the alternate site would have been uh, so that there would have been at least some independent eyes and ears on what exactly Congress, uh, was doing,
2: and you know thankfully, we didn't have to go down that road too far because they they did decide to reconvene in in the Capitol building itself. but it was it was a moment where um you know contingencies, all those things that you tend to kind of blow off, you know, like uh, fire drills and all that kind of stuff, they they all of a sudden take on a lot more resonance. When you realize that, oh wow, maybe I should have paid more attention <laughs> in in the in the in the planning phase um on this. Let's let's shift a little bit to kind of the aftermath and and like the uh what what we've seen, you know, like with several members of Congress, including the Speaker of the House and the incoming majority leader, Chuck Schumer, calling for Vice President Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment. Uh, And have the cabinet vote to remove the president or to impeach and remove him. Um, We're, we are within, you know, two weeks of the inauguration of Joe Biden to be the president of the United States. How realistic is removing the president uh, at, at this point, especially if you have some cabinet members who are resigning? Uh, uh, Elaine Chao, the transportation secretary, and the wife of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, resigned. She'll resign as of Monday. So what's what's the thinking there? Uh, do, do we think that w- this is actually doable, that we're going to see some sort of earnest effort to remove the president
0: before Biden is inaugurated? Well, so the part of the question is, is, whether or not the president would go along with such a maneuver, because if the president does, if the president does not agree that he is incapacitated, then there's a brief window, perhaps, where where Vice President Pence would be in charge. Uh, but in theory, the president would come back into power, uh, and I don't think. Uh, anyone would really want to be in the universe in which President Donald Trump's cabinet and Vice President Mike Pence have declared him not fit for office, and then he comes back. That strikes me as something that could be so outside the realm of logic that no one would want to touch it. If that is the case, then you have to uh, convened Congress and would need to get a two-thirds vote in each chamber to uphold the removal, or there is the impeachment ground. Uh, but, you know, we don't expect the Senate to be around. They've already agreed that they're in pro forma session only until the 19th of January, the day before inauguration. Uh, so this all seems extraordinarily unlikely uh, in what I think would probably make more practical sense is some sort of unofficial use of restricting the president's power somehow. We, you know, where the congressional leaders and and Vice President Pence have some sort of informal agreement that seems more realistic uh, than actually using the 25th amendment.
2: And perhaps the uh, the this regulation is already starting with the different uh, social media platforms that the president likes, like Twitter and, and Facebook, already uh, taking him, suspending his accounts, deplatforming him. Uh, that that uh, it seems like the tech companies are are um, actually moving in a more decisive fa- uh, manner at this point than than Congress or the cabinet uh, is it may be capable of.
0: Yes. And, and the other thing is we don't know when exactly President Trump is going to leave town. We don't really know whether or not he will be back uh, at the White House a whole lot. He's almost not been seen at all. I mean, today there was supposed to be um, a ceremony to honor some professional athletes. But well, these ceremonies have been taking place without even allowing the press pull in. Uh, which is an interesting choice because President Trump usually likes the TV cameras, even if he hates the people with the TV cameras. Uh, And so it's been fascinating to watch so much done behind the closed doors uh, without the sort of national media spotlight.
2: Well, Thanks for keeping a, a, an eye on it, Niels. Uh, I have a feeling this is uh, not quite the uh, last chapter. We're, uh, we're, we're a while, while before we have end credits uh, for the, uh, the, the Trump show in this
0: case. Yes, I think that's right. Thank you, Jason.
2: Finally, a somewhat personal note on the events of the last week. Uh, when considering the violent events at the Capitol, I couldn't help but notice their confluence with another tragic political milestone. Ten years ago, on January 8th, Congresswoman Gabby Giffords was the victim of an attempted assassination attempt at a Congress on Your Corner event at a Safeway in Casas Adobas, Arizona, just outside of Tucson. Seventeen others were shot. She survived, but six others at the event did not. That was a particularly difficult event for me to cover as a journalist. I was in my home state of Arizona at my uncle's funeral, and we found out the news as we were heading to the memorial service in Yuma. Afterward, I headed to Tucson to cover the aftermath. I had a lot of time uh, to think about it because I rented a car in Yuma and, and drove a few hours to Tucson. And and I realized that some of the stuff that had come up uh, in the the feelings that people were expressing, the shock and the outrage about Gifford's shooting, it didn't come out of just nowhere. Politics is frequently described in violent and martial terms. You hear about ground wars and troops and so forth. Uh, And my native state has long fetishized guns and violence. A short drive from Tucson, where I started uh, at at, uh, the University of Arizona in 1989, is Tombstone. Uh, And the gunfight at the OK Corral is reenacted there every single day of the year. So while the Giffords shooting was a shock, it wasn't a surprise. And what happened after Tucson was arguably constructive. There was a national conversation about guns and violence and grief. Giffords and her husband, the former astronaut Mark Kelly, became prominent advocates against gun violence. He is now a United States senator himself having been elected in November to fill the seat of the late John McCain. So what will come out of this week's mob violence and its aftermath? One potentially good sign is that members of Congress, as we discussed, perhaps overruling safety concerns about returning to the Capitol only hours after it was overrun, returned to their chambers to get the job done. They debated the Electoral College vote and some objections to it, and they confirmed Biden's win they did what the Constitution said they had to do. They did their jobs under extremely traumatic circumstances. They could have continued this in another space, as Niels and I were discussing, off-site, that was more secure. Congress doesn't have to meet at the Capitol, after all. But the symbolism was important here. They reclaimed the people's house, and they worked late into the night. So what happens now in the waning days of a confrontational president's administration and with a new president and new Congress getting underway, it's going to go a long way to how we make sense of what has happened and where we go from here. That's gonna do it for this edition of Political Theaters The Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening.